You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Mader. Giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy. On the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back, MD Nation, to the show. You are listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, WWSRN, also presented to you by Belly Up Sports. We're streaming live to you now from YouTube and at Belly Up MDFF Show on social media. And you can always catch the show after on your favorite pod streaming app. We're available to you everywhere. iTunes, iHeart, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you are, we have it for you, especially on Spotify, too, which has been the big one as of late. Yesterday's show, if you didn't catch it, go back and check it out and download that because we went through an entire standard mock draft here with Chris and myself, your host, Dan Mater. And uh, Chris, how would you feel now that we're a day removed from that mock draft? What would you think about that and, and what some things came out of that that I think will help the people moving forward? Yeah, I mean, I think that we both really liked how our team kind of materialized. We saw a lot of value that was kind of where we would hope that it would be or even some failure spelled to us. Um, we kind of got it, you know, MD Nation of how they kind of approach their draft in the sense that when you get to a certain round, you want to kind of look for players, whether best player available or guys who have the most upside as the season kind of progresses. We both kind of built around that idea because we know that a lot of people might not necessarily be the guys who start, particularly some of the younger players in the season, but it's about how you finish the season quite often. And so having ammunition to be able to start off well and also have the versatility to be able to adapt later in the season is kind of crucial. Yeah, and again, it was a standard mock draft, so obviously the running backs were really heavily involved. Chris and I went running back hard at the beginning of the draft to avoid that drop-off that comes because there's still a lot of good wide receivers, especially right now, the way it sets up that fourth through sixth round territory. You can still get wide receivers with top 12 potential in those areas, uh, the way the draft's kind of shaping out in the standard mock draft. So again, next week, when we come back on Thursday, we're going to have a half-point PPR mock draft for you guys and talk about that. But today's show... We're talking about the best five, bus five, sleeper five quarterbacks for you. So we're going to compare our rankings to ECR and ADP and try to give you some of the values that we're seeing that maybe not others are. And, of course, we have a mailbag segment for you guys at the end, which you can always get on by questioning us, you know, talking to us, whatever whatever your case may be, whatever help you need with for your fantasy football leagues on social media at Belly Up. MDFF show. Now to kick things off before we get into all of that, I do want to talk about some of the news that has been coming out since yesterday and also some of the stuff that we didn't get to talk about in yesterday's show. Breaking news. It's one lovely thing about training camp is that the news never, ever, ever stops. I did happen to mention this a little bit yesterday, but we'll talk about it more in depth here. Julio Jones dealing with injury, still undisclosed, was expected to finish out this week, not practicing. We'll see come Monday, probably, if he's going to be back out there to give us some kind of telltale of how severe this injury is. Mike Vrabel keeps downplaying and says it's not, but I do get a little discomforted when they won't disclose what it is, especially when it comes to Julio Jones. Chris, what's your take on this? 
Yeah, I'm 100% with you. I mean, we always have concerns when it comes to Julio. This guy's kind of you know, been a mystery of injuries for most, you know, most of the second half of his career now, where you're never quite sure how severe or how bad it is. You're never sure if he's going to be healthy when he's out there. We've seen him be used as a decoy in previous games and previous seasons. So Julio Jones is one of those guys that you're always nervous about when you start hearing injury news. Yeah, agreed there. And just, you know, these things can tend to linger. And the big thing about them is can you stay healthy? Are you at that point in your career where you're just you're not going to be able to stay healthy for more than a few games? Julio Jones, right now, his ADP has him as a back-end wide receiver, too. I think that's fine value because he does still have the upside because we know he's healthy, he's playing well. But I do wonder if this thing kind of continues on, we might see him drift back into that wide receiver three territory because everyone's just going to be so scared off by him possibly missing a ton of time. Uh, the other thing, kind of a similar situation, although I don't think he has that much fantasy value, honestly, but as AJ Green, something similar going on with him. They say it's a minor issue. Again, another situation where they won't disclose the injury. He won't, he wasn't going to practice the rest of this week. Maybe he's back next week. What do you think? What do you think about the AJ Green situation right now? I mean, it's definitely fascinating. In a lot of senses, Everything I've been actually hearing out of camp, A.J. Green looks to be very explosive and was producing really well. But as we saw last year, the injury thing can be definitely a concern for A.J., similar to what we talked about Julio. And if this is something that's going to be a continued problem, maybe his career is kind of winding down versus maybe he has a re- we're hoping maybe for a rebirth resurgence, maybe in Arizona. You know, he's not necessarily a guy you were targeting anyway in standard redrafts or anything like that. But A.J. Green still has the name and he still has the capability to be productive if he was going to be utilized properly. Now you're kind of questioning, will he be actually out there? And if he is, how effective will he be? Yeah, this is a big reason why I think Rondale Moore has some really sneaky upside as a deep sleeper for you guys, because I really think the situation is going to be, and I believe this all along, Christian Kirk eventually, unfortunate for him, is going to get bumped back out to the outside. I don't think AJ Green has anything left in the tank, and I think you're going to see Rondale Moore take over the slot at that point. So I, think those, I still think there's some upside there for Rondale Moore as a deep sleeper this year. Uh, one thing that we we did break in yesterday's show, but we didn't really get to talk about it too much. Kenny Galladay missing two to three weeks. How do you think, Chris, because you've been pro Kenny Galladay. So how do you think this is going to impact him, especially start off the season with him missing that much training camp time, trying to get acclimated to a new quarterback and a new system? I'm not as concerned about him kind of getting you know adjusted to the new guys. Um, I'm more concerned about is this going to be a lingering thing? Uh, similar to other issues the about AJ and Holy. Yeah, in, in soft tissue injuries, you're always kind of nervous because it's something that you can easily re-injure or never you know, fully recover from, especially through receiver position. So you're kind of always nervous when the guy has a hamstring issue, particularly this early in the summer, because they tend to be something that the guy kind of gets shut down and the weeks are supposed to come back or quote-unquote open it up. A lot of times there's setbacks there or concerns, so they don't actually do it, and it kind of you know carries another week, carries another week, carries another week. So I'm a little bit more concerned about Kelly Galladay is he healthy more so than him missing the camp time? Yeah, I'm kind of with you there. It, it Because it's a hamstring, because it's Galladay, and it's a soft tissue history. Again, this goes back to the argument I had before of you know, why I wasn't as big on Kenny Galladay. Because I, you can't expect this guy to stay healthy for 17 games. If you're going to kick off the year in this way, the hamstrings don't tend to go away, especially with players like this. So I wonder how much of a hindrance this will be throughout the year. We have a lot of wide receiver news, actually, to talk about today. OBJ will be fully cleared next week. So, Chris, OBJ, you know, where are your feelings on him finally being able to be out there and supposedly 100% healthy, although we've heard that story before? Yeah, I mean, this just continues our kind of you know discussion we've been having about receivers who 
have kind of a bad rap and have had history of having a hard time overcoming some of their injuries. So OBG is another guy that you're kind of, you want to see him out there, you know, more soon than later. Um, I do hear a lot of positive things about him in general. I hear his explosiveness has returned in a lot of ways. I heard him and Baker were kind of getting more on the same page. But this is a guy that's been there for about two years in Cleveland now and has been very, very productive. So OBJ is somebody that has a lot of upside, but you rather see him out there, you know, kind of get those reps before you kind of dive into taking him too early in the draft. I also want to point out another receiver real quick is that Tyreek Hill did return to camp yesterday. Um, you know, there's some concerns about him as well, but he's actually did return to practice yesterday on Thursday. So hopefully that's, you know, fingers crossed he's okay. Yeah, I was just about to get to that. Yeah, he he missed one practice. He came back and practice. So if a guy, if a better guy like a Tyree Kill only misses one day of practice, it's not something I'm going to be too concerned about. Other good news: Cortland Sutton is reportedly pretty close to 100% recovered, looking pretty good. He's another young receiver who I'm very excited by. Glad he's going to be back out there on the field. He was a budding superstar in the making. Going to be very curious to see him and Jerry Judy on the field at the same time. We're still waiting to see who's going to merge in the quarterback room. From all reports, it's still a deadlock between Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater. I still have to believe myself that it's going to be Teddy Bridgewater, but apparently, as far as the coaching staff is concerned, they seem like they want it to be Drew Locke unless they absolutely have to go to Teddy Bridgewater. At least that's what it seems like anyway. Yeah, I mean, I think that's also a little bit of pressure from upper management as well because you want to kind of have your, your draft picks pay, pan out. You, want to kind of, you hope to build your roster around a young quarterback and kind of grow with them. They have a lot of young weapons in place. They did a great job, you know, adding all kinds of weapons in different levels. You have the receivers you talked about. We have no fan at tight end. They have a lot of depth. They have a lot of ability. So you're just waiting for that quarterback kind of be settled. And I think that right now Denver's hoping it's going to be the cheaper third, second round pick that they can kind of ride. But I I'm with you. I think Teddy Bridgewater should be the better option. Yeah. He's just going to be the more efficient quarterback that off that team is a Super Bowl caliber team if it wasn't for the quarterback position. But if you bring in Teddy Bridgewater, more of a game manager, he's not going to lose you the game with that defense and with all the weapons that they have on the offense. He just, to me, is a clear cut choice, but it seems like they want to see Drew Locke have at least a chance to pan out. Will Fuller still dealing with a foot issue. This bothers me because my whole thing about Will Fuller is that without PEDs, I wonder if he can actually stay healthy. So him dealing with a foot issue, even though he wasn't going to play week one anyway does bother me that he has not practiced at all with this new team. Yeah, that's definitely got to be a concern. I think that, you know, this is a guy who was participating in OTA, so you really do have to worry about Will Fuller and can he get on the same page, particularly with the quarterbacks that they have on that team. Um, I think, you know, Tua kind of showed last year that he likes to go to the guys he's kind of familiar with and utilize. Um, you know, you have concerns all over the receiving core right now for Miami Dolphins. Waddle, we talked about yesterday's show, that had some still kind of limping around. So you need Will Fuller. Will Fuller, when he's been out there, has very productive. I thought he turned a corner in his career last year. It became more than the one-trick pony. It was very productive, especially in the red zone. He had basically scored seven or eight games in a row. He had touchdowns. Um, so you, you love the value of Will Fuller, especially where he's going right now as ADP. But you also have to have concerns that if he's not going to get on the same page as a quarterback, it might take a longer time than you were hoping for him to kind of you know be relevant. In the meantime, Jalen Waddle gets to just gobble up reps and opportunities and get him going. A guy that I like quite a bit with some upside too. Last thing we'll talk about, it's not huge news, but Jalen Richard out indefinitely with a foot issue himself. Not that that's big news, but just kind of, you know, confirms. It can be for some people. It, it, it confirms that it's just, it's all going to be Kenny and Drake. It's all going to be Josh Jacobs. 
Yeah, you never want to give Gruden too many weapons because then he screws you with everybody. So I do think that maybe this is a good situation just because now he doesn't have to make a decision of why does he throw General Rashard and just because, um, you know, now you maybe actually gets a throw or two to him per game. Um, I also wanted to comment on some running back news. We talked about Miles Sanders yesterday's show. There's a report that came out from uh, WIP that basically they're expecting a 50-50 split between Boston Scott and Miles Sanders because it's how the practice reps, reps have kind of unfolded. It's basically been a 35 to 29, um, you know, split. Miles Sanders has been primarily the, the running back, as I was kind of worried about yesterday, but that you see Boston Scott being used to change of pace as the pass catching back. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. We do know Nick Serini comes from, you know, Frank Reich, who does like the rotate running backs. But Boston Scott is a bum. So He's a bum. I, I'm 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 curious to see how that actually when you when you get in situations like this, there's a lot of times in camp where you hear the ideals of what you want to do, and then when things actually play out in the field, you realize, no, you have to do things a completely different way. This is one of those instances where I'm like, yeah, you might ideally want to try to do this until you realize Boston Scott's not actually any good out there, so you have to go back to Miles Sanders. So this is one of those things I question how it comes out to fruition. But yeah, I can confirm that. The other part of that, there was a report, too, that Miles Sanders is kind of struggling a little bit in camp. He's dropping some you know, easy balls and stuff like that, which kind of has been a concern. He has been a guy, especially last year, who who dropped a little too many for a guy who's supposed to be a good pass catcher. I'm not overly concerned about that, but that might be part of the reason why we're seeing Boston Scott get the practice reps that he is at the moment, too. That's going to wrap it up for our news segment of the day. So, Chris, we can get into the minutia of this show, which is the best five, bus five, sleeper five. Let's start off with our best five quarterbacks and we have up here for you guys on the graph, if you're watching the live stream here now, for you guys who are just listening in, I have a great list, I believe. Uh, but Chris, we'll start off with our number five. Now, Chris cheated a little bit and tried to put three guys in as his mm-hmm. fifth quarterback. So, Chris, l- let's start with you and just tell me, you know, why do you have a three-way tie at QB5? Well, I did cheat a little bit here, but I think part of the reason I had to is because I have these guys basically – if there's anybody who's up on top of the board, split by like a, basically a, a nose hair. Um, I think Josh Allen's going to be one of the more productive quarterbacks. I think Russell Wilson's set to kind of continue what he started last year. At, you know, you, you saw a guy basically you know, flame out towards the end of the season, but was very productive overall as a fantasy quarterback. And I think the change in system is going to benefit him. And we talked about it on one of the other shows by Aaron Rodgers. I'm a huge Aaron Rodgers fan this year. I think he's going to have something to prove. I think last year wasn't an aberration. I think that's what you can see for Aaron Rodgers when he gets to do what he wants to do. And I couldn't really decide between those three guys who I thought had more even upside because I think all three of them are going to be very productive. And if they do kind of finish, you know, different from one another, I think it'll be barely, be barely by anything. Yeah, uh, here here's what I'm going to say to that is, you know, I technically I have Russell Wilson at number five. So you can say we kind of have a tie there. Uh, we're going to get into why I think you have three guys at your number five position, because you have somebody in your top five that I do not. Um, I have Josh Allen at number four. And I know some people say like, well, that's a little low, but look, he's still going to be a great quarterback for fantasy football purposes. It's still going to be a pass first offense. He's still going to have the rushing touchdown capabilities. I'm just expecting him to come back down to earth from the ridiculous completion percentage, the ridiculous efficiency that he had a season ago to some degree, not the volume necessarily, but just, I don't believe Josh Allen truly is a 70 completion percentage quarterback. I don't believe that's actually who this guy is. So I just expect that to come back down to 65 or so for me, 
that's enough to put him below, you know, the top rushing quarterbacks in a Lamar Jackson, a Kyler Murray. Um, and of course, I have Patrick Holmes at number one. We'll get into all that. But Chris, you have Tom Brady as your QB five or QB four, excuse me. So this is where I'm going to hit this button. You need to explain yourself. Just to be clear, it's not that I hate Tom Brady, but I don't have him quite in my top five. But go ahead. Why do you have him as your number four quarterback overall? Well, I was looking at his, you know, basically the board, and as those guys I said, I think Tom Brady's definitely way ahead of those guys. But when I think about the production, particularly the consistency that I expect out of that, out of Tom Brady, he's got to be in my top five. I have him at number four because I look at what he did last year as a top ten quarterback, and he had spent most of the, you know, half the season at least trying to adjust to the offense. And then the other half of the you know, season, he's bringing different receivers, different targets to kind of utilize. And we've seen Tom Brady get better and better as the year went on. And then add to the fact that he did all that with an MCL tear that's been repaired off this offseason. I look at a guy who I think can very easily replicate what he did for the New England Patriots in 2017, where they tried to be an undefeated team with 350 touchdowns over 5,000 yards. I expect Tampa Bay to be very effective offensively because they brought all their weapons back and then added a pass catcher in Giannotti Bernard in the backfield as well, which I think Tom Brady will love having. So all those different things, I expected a jump from in production from last year and also a guy who's going to be more efficient and more effective overall. I mean, I can't disagree with any of that on the surface here. And I, like I said, I did not that I hate Tom Brady. I think I have him as my QB7 as it stands right now. And by the way, my rankings are live for you guys to utilize for your drafts up on the Belly Up Fantasy Sports website for you. Just go to the rankings tab. You'll see the Damnator rankings there. I have it for half point, full point, and standard leagues all ready for you guys to go. Um, I do have Tom Brady as my QB6, actually. So I have him just outside the top five. Like I said, I agree with everything you just said. The only reason I have him outside of that five range is look at the quarterbacks. I'll throw it up there again on the graph. Look at the quarterbacks I have in the top five. They all have rushing floors, and that's essentially why ends up being the cheat code for me as to why these guys get into the top five and edge out Brady. But I wouldn't be surprised if Brady was able to repeat a 40-touchdown performance based on the weapons that they have and the Bruce Arian system and everything to that nature. Chris, you have another one that's different from me that you have another quarterback in the top five that I do not. Um, this guy, this isn't going to be too much of a controversy. I think I'm actually more in the minority of not having this guy in the top five. But Chris, states, give me your case as to why Dak Prescott... I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! State your case. Case for Dak Prescott being the top three quarterback. Dak Prescott was the number one quarterback last year for the weeks that he played during the beginning of the season. Now, a big part of that was the defense was pathetic. It has improved a little bit, but people thinking about the yards, you know, that he was the pace to do was over a thousand yards. There's no way he's going to do that. I don't argue that, but I do argue that he won't be nearly inefficient in the touchdown production as he was at the beginning of the season. So while he was still number one quarterback, they weren't scoring touchdowns as a team and he wasn't throwing touchdown passes. I expect this team to be very proficient on offense, perhaps one of the best offenses in the league. And as a result, I think between the legs of Dak Prescott and the arm of Dak Prescott and the weapons he has in place, he, reminds, he basically is one of the safer guys to me. I think he's got amazing upside, and I think that he's definitely, in my book, going to be one of the top three quarterbacks. 
I don't disagree that he's a great quarterback. I don't disagree this is going to be one of the top offenses, and I don't disagree that he has a rushing floor. I do disagree on the touchdown aspect. He's always been inefficient when it comes to the touchdowns. The most touchdowns he's ever thrown was 30 in 2019. He actually has not been a guy who throws a ton of touchdowns, period. That's why, that's the only reason why, he actually winds up outside of my top five compared to these other guys because he, even with good weapons, hasn't proven to have that touchdown upside. Um, again, we're nitpicking here. This is our best five. and I don't want to get carried away. Dak Prescott, still an elite quarterback, still has potential to be a top three guy. I'm not you know, disputing that in any capacity. But that is where I have him when I'm looking for variables and tiebreakers between a lot of these guys because the, the margins are very, very close. He doesn't have the same touchdown rate as a lot of these other elite quarterbacks. Uh, I think his touchdown rate is closer. To, I mean, Kyle Murray might have more rushing touchdowns and rushing yards overall. That's, but that's think, the key, yeah. But I do, I do think that that offense isn't nearly as consistent or nearly as effective. And I also think Dak Prescott is going to benefit from the fact that a lot of people expect C.D. Land to be even better this year. Mari Cooper should be healthy going into this year. He wasn't healthy. People kind of forget that last year that he went into the season with a foot injury. So you have two guys who are basically one of the more explosive receivers, and you add a Michael Gallup, you add a Jarwin, you add a Schultz, and you have a Tony Pollard, you have a Zeke Elliott who looks more explosive. Overall, I just think that with his he has at his disposal, he might just fall into touchdowns or have a lot more big plays, and that's where I'm kind of really excited about Dak Prescott. Of course, the upside is there because of the weapons that he has, but it just it was curious to me when you're going through the numbers and you're looking at projecting it out. He just hasn't been that touchdown producer like these top guys have been in years past. So that's why I just hinder him back a little bit where I think he's getting amped up because of the hype, because of what he did in the first few weeks of last year to the point where you're drafting him at your ceiling. And I don't care who it is. I don't necessarily want to draft you at your ceiling. I want to draft you at a value so you're talking about quarterback position where I can get a bunch of guys late that I really like as well. So that this kind of the one to be the case for me. Kyler Murray is my number three. I think that actually does put me right in line with the ADP and the ECR as far as where he is going. I don't buy for a second that he is suddenly going to take a huge downturn in his rushing volume. Like I like I've said, I think I've said to you off air before. I might have even said it on the show too. Uh, Kyler Murray's not the greatest pocket passing quarterback. So the second they figure that out and be like, Hey, you know what? You need to run for our offense to be effective, which I think will literally take a week or two. If that, uh, he'll be back to running it in his, in his running ways. It's, it's who he is. You're not going to take that away from Kyler Murray. So you're talking about a guy who I've rate, I've projected to have the second most rushing yards for the quarterback position, a little over 800, nine rushing touchdowns for him. I have on the year. Maybe his passing numbers get a little bit better. I have him for 26 passing touchdowns, just under 4,000 yards, frankly. Um, DeAndre Hopkins is still there. I do like the wide receivers a little bit more with the addition of Rondale Moore. If Christian Kirk gets to play the slot for any length of time, I do think he actually is an intriguing big play slot type of wide receiver. Not that safety blanket guy, but the guy who stretches the seam and operates from that realm. So I do like their options there a bit more. I also like the idea... Believe it or not, um, without Kenyon Drake, I think they kind of put themselves in a stagnant situation to some degree last year because they're paying Kenyon Drake so much money, even though he was being ineffective, inefficient. I think they just felt like they had to continue giving him the ball where you're not going to have that this year. I think James Conner is no worse than what Kenyon Drake gave you last year. I think the big key is that you're going to be more apt to give Chase Edmonds more opportunities. And I think that's going to help out this offense in a really big way as well. So expecting the offense to take a little bit more of a step up, 
there is a fire under Kingsbury. Finally, thank goodness this season to actually show why are you an offensive innovator? There are people starting to catch on. Like, you know what? You don't do anything special. You don't actually run some kind of, you know, innovative brand new scheme of offense in the NFL at all. And frankly, this is a team I think has to make the playoffs. Otherwise, Kingsbury is going to find himself in the hot seat. I like teams in desperate situations because they tend to be a little bit more aggressive too. So I'm kind of contemplating that into Kyler Murray's mold where I don't think he has, I don't think Kyler Murray actually can be the QB one get, you know, barring anybody else gets hurt, but being top five, I think is almost a lock given all the circumstances around him. Yeah. I have a little bit of different concerns about Kyler Murray. I think um, I do think there's going to be a concentrated effort for him to be more of a pocket quarterback and especially the beginning of the season. And we've seen other guys kind of go through this. We saw how it basically ruined RG3's career in a lot of ways. We saw, you know, different quarterbacks, Carson Wentz comes to mind. Um, we've seen, you know, Colin Kaepernick back in the day for 49ers, where teams decide that because we're going to pay you or you're due to get paid, we don't want you to use your legs as much as you had been. We've even seen Josh Allen cut back on his running up attempts over the last few years. So I do think there's going to be concentrated effort for Kyle Murray to try, and them to try to justify the weapons they have in place. I do agree. I think they have better weapons than they have had in previous years. However, I do think they're still going to struggle in the red zone, which Kyle Murray seems to have, you know, a problem seeing guys in the end zone and being able to score touchdowns. He can run them in. He'll probably still get a decent amount of rushing touchdowns overall as the season progresses. But for me, for my top guys, I want a guy who I can depend on week in, week out, and I can basically bank on their consistency. I think Kyler Murray plays against some tougher defenses, such as the Rams, such as the 49ers, um, that where I have concerns about will he be that guy week in, week out. And I do think if he's not using his legs, then I definitely worry about what his production can be. Yeah, like, look, if there's a coach out there who is going to ruin his his guys and make him do stupid things, I, I, I don't put it past Cliff Kingsbury to try to make Kyler Murray a pocket-passing quarterback. I mean, how many times are we going to talk on this show about our what our expectations of what a player can do, what their roles should be, but then having to deal with and figure out what are the retarded coaches going to handle. Kingsbury falls into that category of what I would call uh, idiocracy coaching. So <laughs> well, I say, it's not just the coaching all the time either, because what people kind of, you know, they kind of look at the Redskins situation, but it wasn't the Shanahan's who wanted RG three to change his game. It was RG three who wanted to prove. Yeah. He made a, a pocket quarterback. Decision. And I think Kyler Murray has, talked off season, almost off season, kind of in a similar mode of being, I'm more than this. I, I don't want to use my legs so much. So I wonder, it won't just be kind of pushing from his side of the camp, trying to keep him you know, prolonged from getting injured like he was last year and being exposed in a lot of ways because last year when he couldn't use his legs, the offense couldn't do anything. Um, so I do think it might be something Kyler Murray asks for, and I wonder if that's going to be a part of the issue as well. I do think part of it with RG3, too, is that he just came off the ACL injury. I think there's a part of him that felt like he had to. Where with Kyler Murray, again, I go back to, you get a couple weeks of a completely inefficient offense. You go maybe 0-2, let's say, in that division, which is going to be the most competitive division in football, I think. Uh, it's not going to be long before he's like, okay, yeah, I have to run. So, so I maybe the start... It might be, but I don't believe it's going to last past September, frankly. It's, but we'll see exactly what happens there. I understand where you're coming from as far as concerns go. Let's throw that graphic back up there. So you have, we both have Lamar. Our, our top two are both the same. So we'll, we'll talk about Lamar Jackson at number two. Chris, why is Lamar Jackson your number two? I mean, basically, I just never understood the hatred for Lamar Jackson in general. Um, people want to doubt this or doubt that about him. He's not just a runner. He can throw the ball. He led the league in touchdowns two years ago. 
I see the weapons that they have in place. There's no reason he can't be around there or do similar. Um, I think he should be in the top you know, five in touchdown passes. And we know that he's super effective with his legs. And he's next level with his legs. I think that's one of the important things to kind of point out to people. He's not just a scrambler. He's not just a runner. He's one of the best running back quarterbacks we've ever it's seen video in our game. lives. Yeah. I mean, this guy can run basically – he can run with from anybody out there. And so even if they cut back on his volume, quote-unquote, of rushing attempts, it doesn't really hurt you with Lamar Jackson because he's so explosive. And you just need a couple big plays here or there. And we've seen people like Michael Vick in the past that when they have that ability to run and be able to throw, you basically have to put them as one of your top quarterbacks because they're going to have a, a tremendous floor and an outstanding ceiling. This guy can easily you know, throw for 300 yards and three touchdowns and run for another 100 yards and score a touchdown. And this offense, because they improved the offensive line and the receiving position, I think they, have, they you know, the sky's the limit for them. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I haven't, that's why I have him at number two as well. I think the reason why his ADP is four is for a couple of reasons. We saw the emergence of Josh Allen. Uh, people are loving, you know, Kyler Murray and Arizona Cardinals to have a big breakout. And let's face it, a lot of people took Lamar Jackson early in their drafts and got burned for the first eleven weeks of the season. And I think that's I think that's the biggest reason why he's ADP four. Lamar Jackson has the most upside of any quarterback, including Patrick Mahomes, for fantasy purposes going into this season. That I don't think you can dispute that. He's looking at a third year in a row of rushing over 1,000 yards, in my opinion. I don't think that's going to change. He's only two years removed from leading the league in passing touchdowns. And just look at last year when he decided to turn it on when the Ravens stopped being dumb and got back to doing what they do best from weeks 13 through 17. He was the QB2. His pace put him on for 35 passing touchdowns, 1,300 yards, 13 rushing yards. That was his pace in that four-game stretch where he was the QB2. Showing you that even last year, even though he started off the year a little slow, maybe a little bit banged up, Lamar Jackson still very much has it in him to dominate at any given moment. He has the pass catchers, like you said, to go along with him this year to help amplify his opportunities, especially in the red zone. Love Rashad Bateman there. Sammy Watkins has already has familiarity with the system. Marquise Brown now doesn't have to worry about being the number one guy, so maybe he can be more efficient in his opportunities being a big play threat. And he's still have Mark Andrews there. And J.K. Dobbins is the best best running back that they've had since Lamar Jackson got there. So there's a lot of reasons to have a lot of upside. I will only give this one caveat warning, and it's kind of why Lamar Jackson is my number two, is that I don't necessarily trust Greg Roman with a lot of toys. We've seen it in the past to kind of boil over and not be able to kind of, he kind of loses his mind because instead of just flowing the offense and letting it run naturally, he seems to take time out to like, emphasize getting this one guy the ball over here, the one guy the ball over here, that's not efficient play calling, and a lot of times it leads to stagnant offenses. My only concern, my only caveat when it comes to Lamar Jackson and this Ravens offense in general. 100% agree. I mean, Greg Roman's the only thing that could basically sabotage the situation. So, Patrick Mahomes, our QB1. I don't think there's a ton to talk about here as to why he's the QB1. He's the ADP QB1. He's the ECR QB1. Last year, he finishes QB4. And while there's other guys who have the potential to be the QB1, you know you're getting top three performances out of Patrick Mahomes. And here's, here's the key about Mahomes' upside, if you can call it an upside, because he's always, you know, sky's the limit for him anyway. We haven't seen him with this good of an offensive line. And that's where this thing can get scary as far as what Patrick Mahomes might be able to do. Yeah, I mean... 
he basically masks the fact that the Chiefs haven't had to go off the line for the last few years. You actually have a legit top, top you know, top five off the line on paper right now. Add to the fact that you're going to have an improved running game as a result of that. And you have, you give Patrick Mahomes a threat of a running game and protection. This guy can throw the ball already 90 yards down the field as it is. You give him, you know, that kind of ability, you know, that, that time and that kind of separation for him to kind of, you know, guys get be able to get. He's going to be super explosive. Um, he can, you know, talk about video games. This guy can put video game numbers passing wise, I think, because he has the ability to do so, and he can attack every area on the field with that kind of time and that kind of speed available to him. There's not really a defense you can draw up to stop him. Patrick Mahomes had nearly a 76% completion percentage with a clean pocket completion percentage, and he was 21st in protection rate from that offensive line. That easily should be top 10, if not top five this year with the offensive line they put together. What does his completion percentage go to then? What does his deep shot go to then if he has top five protection rate instead of 21 protection rate? That's where this whole thing can just be, our minds can be blown, quite frankly, this year. Patrick Holmes, that's why he's the number one guy, hands down. So that pretty much wraps up our top five. We're going to get into a few of our bus five before we hit the commercial break. So let's bring that up. This is where we go the opposite direction. And guys, we are not fans of. We'll start from the bottom. Chris, you have Sam Darnold. I have Kirk Cousins. Now, here's what I'm going to say about why Sam Darnold is not in my bust area because his ADP is already so low. I don't know how much of a bust you are when you're not being drafted in redraft leagues anyway. But go ahead and say why you want Darnold to be in your top five. Yeah, so this is another case of me kind of cheating the question. Um, I had to You're put such Shane a Darnold. Why are you such a cheater? <laughs> gotta do what you gotta do. Um, <laughs> I go to the Belichick school. Now, uh, Sam Darnold basically <laughs> to me is somebody that I had to point out just how frustrating I think he's going to be dealing with the Carolina receivers. We saw a lot of production kind of out of those guys last year. Uh, Robbie Anderson was very effective. DJ Moore was you know once again one of the better running receivers. We even saw the third receiver, Curtis Samuel, be effective. I think there's a lot of similar expectations going into this year, and we kind of point out in other shows, you don't know how this is going to unfold, particularly this narrative that Robbie Anderson should be excited to have Sam Darnold as a quarterback. People seem to forget that this guy was not targeted until the very end of the season, basically when the games no longer mattered, to be involved in the passing game. He left the Jets to be you know, utilized better. Um, so Sam Darnold, to me, is not just going to be a guy that you don't want, you know, don't want to draft. He's going to be a guy you need to keep in your mind when you're drafting a DJ Moore, when you're drafting a Robbie Anderson, because I think he severely dampens a lot of their opportunity to be productive. Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree with any of that. Again, I just go back to Sam Darnold. It's not somebody who's even being drafted in you know standard 12-man half-point PPR leagues. I don't know how much of a bust you are there. My guy is Kirk Cousins at number five. And I talked about this a little bit in yesterday's show, but Kirk Cousins last year, he finishes the QB eleven. He was 14th in consistency. It was, it was 50-50 as far as him finishing in the top 12. But he had career highs in pass attempts. His ADP is QB 17. I don't have him much lower than that. I have him ranked at QB 19. But this is where it goes back to, I don't believe for a second Minnesota's defense is going to be as bad as it was last season. Uh, this is Mike Zimmer. He's a good defensive coach. You're brought in Patrick Peterson, Anthony Barr's healthy, Daniel Hunter's healthy. You brought, uh, I believe they brought in, did they bring in Sheldon Richardson or am I imagining that wrong? Um, I thought they brought in somebody uh, on, I thought they brought in somebody on the interior, but 
the point is this. They had a drastic increase in pass attempts last year. They had 465 just as a, uh, a in 2019, just to show you the increase that they had to 516 a season ago. I expected to go back down a little bit. Kirk Cousins is a streaky quarterback as it is. So I just don't believe that he's going to be that streaming guy. I mean, he might have a couple games where he streams because he does have that tendency to get hot at some point. But I don't know if you're ever going to know when that's going to come. And that's kind of more my point of why he makes my top five busts this year because I think it's going to be a little bit hard to pick out when to stream a guy like Kirk Cousins. And I have him as a lower-end QB2 rather than a mid-level QB2, which you're usually looking for that territory for those streaming guys. Yeah, I think it's a great point that you're making that you know a lot of these guys where their numbers finish versus how productive they were throughout the season has to be kind of talked about a lot of times because where guys finish and their overall season stats doesn't necessarily take into account that you need to win week in, week out at a certain position to get the quarterback. So when a guy's basically you know awful for a week or two here, that can cost you. And Kirk Cousins has definitely had that that streak streakiness of being you know going from god awful to really good. And at the end of the season, it looks decent, looks pretty positive. But then you forget there's a four or five game stretch where you were getting nothing in the quarterback position. And you don't want to necessarily roster a guy like that. Yeah, agreed. So we go back to our list here. Chris, I guess we'll talk about this now because I have Trey Lance, my number three bus quarterback. You have him as your number four bus quarterback. So I'll let you go ahead and start on why we have Trey Lance being a bust. So this is going to go back. To, I don't think his ADP is too bad. Um, and part Agreed. of the things we, we get asked about this question was guys that we kind of had concerns with the downside. So I'm going more off the narrative that's kind of sur- surrounding Trey Lance and also maybe the hype that might approach as the season be, you know, begins to set in. Um, there's a lot of talk about Trey Lance is going to be the starting quarterback for 49ers. He's been lighting it up in camp. Um, a, he's been playing most with third stringers. B, he's only had like one or two snaps with the first string. Um, so I don't know what lighting it up against who really means. And also a guy that people are just assuming is going to be highly productive to take over. I don't think Jimmy G, unless he gets hurt, is going to be not be the quarterback for 49ers. They have too much riding into the season. It's not a rebuilding team. And unless they basically are awful or he gets hurt, I see no reason they're going to be moving on from him sooner than later. Um, and then you have Trey Lance as a guy that if you're going to be drafting him or you think he's going to be like a Justin, you know, a Fields for you as the season progresses, I think you can be highly mistaken. I'd rather take an upside a lot of other quarterbacks than take one chance on Trey Lance. Yeah, I'm 100% with you is why I have him as my number three bust. And the reason I have it that way is he's ranked at 22 or his ADP is at 22. I have him ranked at 33. But you literally have guys like Zach Wilson who are going to start right away. His ADP is quarterback 28. There is no way that you can make the argument to me that Trey Lance should be going ahead of Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson who also has a dual threat capabilities. He's definitely going to be the quarterback week one. I think there's just so many people out there who are trying to push this narrative that Trey Lance is somehow going to overtake Jimmy Garoppolo, even though the 49ers have been consistent on, no, he's not. I'm with you. Unless Garoppolo gets hurt or unless a team for some reason, blows her socks off on a trade offer. It's going to be Jimmy G's job. It's not going to be Trey Lance's job. That's one thing they have stayed consistent on with them. And I, look, I'm a 49ers fan, so I pay attention a little bit to them more so than the other teams, especially when it comes to the meaner of a Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch. You can tell when they're lying because they have no poker face. 
they usually when they're lying, they usually have this like little grin on their faces. They have that little I call it the uh, the douchebag smile where they have it kind of on them where you can kind of tell when they're lying about something. They have straight serious faces whenever this question comes up to them. And whenever they do that, I pretty much can guarantee what they're saying is actually going to be true because they you can read them that way. I believe anyway, for somebody who pays attention to them a little bit closely than most. I believe in 100% when this is Jimmy Garoppolo's job, Trey Lance has zero chance of overtaking him as long as Jimmy Garoppolo is healthy. So I moved to my number three bus. I have him one spot ahead, mostly to kind of illustrate why is he going ahead of a Zach Wilson or really any quarterback who's starting week one. It doesn't make any sense. And let you don't know when he's going to take the job. And again, if if it takes a Garoppolo injury, it could be late, late in the season. Who knows? If you're drafting a Trey Lance, you're making a huge mistake. There's no reason to do that. Um, so at all. So that's why I have him a number three bust. Again, ADP 22. I don't plan on too many people in MD Nation making that mistake, especially when you're talking about from a 12-man half-point PPR league, but a guy who's still going way too high, and it doesn't make any sense to me. Let me pull up that graph again for you guys. So you have a number four. I have Matt Ryan as my my bust for quarterback. And pretty much the reason is this. We saw that there is a very, very low floor with Matt Ryan without a Julio Jones. And while I like Arthur Smith, while I still think Calvin Ridley's good, I think Kyle Pitts will help, uh, there's still that chance that he's just not going to be that mid-level QB2. And right now his ADP is QB15. I have him ranked at quarterback 18 because you just have that drop off that's possible. And remember, week three, he was QB 27. Week five, he was QB 25. Week 12, he was QB 17. He did get better at the end of the season from weeks 14 through 17 without Julio. And these are all games without Julio Jones, by the way. He became QB 10. He did get better towards the end of the year. But they just, they're not going to have the same upside. This is not going to be as high of a volume passing attack under Arthur Smith, I believe, that it was under Dirk Cutter from last year. So you're taking away at least some volume, taking away a big-time pass-catching threat. The only thing I think that might save him a little bit is that that defense might be so bad that maybe the volume stays close to the same. There's a there's a pathway for that, just out of necessity. But I don't believe that's going to be the game plan from a week-to-week basis. He doesn't have the rushing ability. So when you're telling me you're an ADP-wise that the guy is a QB 15, you're telling me that he is somebody who, A, might be getting drafted, but B, should be one of the top-end streamers of the year. I don't think he has that kind of upside this season. Yeah, I, I have to agree with you. I mean, I would have definitely concerns about Matt Ryan. This guy's been kind of a model of consistency where he's a, you know, a quarterback that's usually going to get you around 20 points. Um, you, you have some games he blows up here or there, but just even when he had all the weapons, Matt Ryan was always the most consistent guy out there. So now the fact that you add a different coaching regime, you add some different weapons in place, you do have to have concerns whether Matt Ryan is somebody that you should be going after versus somebody maybe you just like kind of fall and you know, pick up from waivers if he, if he starts off well. Atlanta's to me, offense is a lot of wait and see in my book, so I'm not necessarily rushing out to go get their quarterback because I still don't really know how the offense is going to look in general. All right. So here's this is going to be a good way, actually, to end the first half of the show. Let me throw out that bus list. Chris is Trevor Lawrence. This is number three bus quarterback. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, hit this button real quick. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. For, prefer- for reference here, Trevor Lawrence is my QB9. So, Chris, you have to explain yourself as to why he's a bust when his ADP is QB14. Um, for me, I think that there's a narrative that he could actually be do what Justin Herbert did last year. I think that's 
way too much to expect. Justin Herbert was kind of an exception to the rule a lot of times as a quarterback. I also think there's a narrative that Trey that Lawrence is going to be this fantastic rushing guy and be able to use his legs to be able to kind of supplement what he doesn't do in the passing game. I think that's a little bit naive. He wasn't a rushing guy necessarily in college. His last year in his senior year, he ran for 203 yards in college. Um, the year before that, he ran for 500. The year before that was 177. So this isn't a guy who's already been showing that he runs and runs and runs. Um, he's a little bit different you know, than a Lamar Jackson and a Kyler Murray. Um, you see that kind of in the stats. You also see a coaching regime that likes to run the ball. And as a result, you have a team that maybe you're going to see that they will have to fall behind in some games because their defense is so pathetic. But you're going to see more of a commitment to try to be a physical run-oriented team, a la what Seattle was with Russell Wilson. That's what Darren Bevel's you know, background was. That's where Schottenheimer's background was. Um, so you look at two of those coaches, both guys who basically are responsible for the passing game and the offense in general, they haven't been the most aggressive guys, particularly when it becomes utilized their quarterback. And they like to be able to establish a run first and try to build their team around that and then be able to kind of push the ball down the field. So to me, Lawrence is one of those guys that I think has, has a lot of people hype around, but I think they need to kind of question some of that hype. Yeah, uh, you're wrong. First of all, it's not just what Justin Herbert did. It's Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow because Joe Burrow from weeks one through nine was the QB nine. This defense, I've talked about this before, is going to be completely bad. There's going to be a lot of garbage time. There's going to be a lot of pass attempts. I expect this team to be amongst the top 10, possibly top five in passing volume. Daryl Bevel does run a lot of three receiver sets. This team is set up to throw the ball. This is not a great offensive line when it comes to run blocking, but they are above average when it comes to pass blocking. They have three receivers to be able to go to in a Marvin Jones, a DJ Chark, a LaVisca Chanel, and you know they're going to be utilizing Travis Etienne, who's going to, especially in the pass catching situation, and he's going to have a safety blanket already instilled to him. As far as rushing goes, no, I don't expect him to blow away everybody with his rushing attack, but he's going to have a little bit of a rushing floor. He is a guy who gets rushing touchdowns. He has that capability, and rookie quarterbacks will tend to run a little bit more to move the chains just to keep the you know the chains moving, keep their confidence flowing when that opportunity presents itself. And I believe behind that bad offensive line, he may be put in position to do so more so, let's say, he did in Clemson when they're just beating up on poor schools for most of the time. So I do think he's going to run a little bit more, especially in his rookie season. But the big thing is this, the volume, his ability as a rookie quarterback, I think he's more talented than a Herbert. He's more talented than a, Joe, than a Joe Burrow. And I would argue he has more weapons than they did in their rookie year. So I don't see there any reason why he can't duplicate and be a QB9 of sorts. Does he, he maybe doesn't have the top-end elite target of a Keenan Allen, but that's pretty much all Herbert had to go to last year. And I just listed out all their weapons that they have this season. I don't buy into them being a run first team because they're by default not going to be able to do so between the offensive line and the defense and the type of running backs that they have. So I'm 100% on Trevor Lawrence as a top 10 quarterback for me and definitely, definitely, definitely not a bust product. Go ahead. If you have anything to rebuttal, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, I think that you're going more off what you think is going to happen versus some of the numbers. We've never seen Urban Meyer's quarterbacks be highly effective as guys are utilizing the passing game. Like I pointed out Schottenheimer, I pointed out Darren Bevel. Both guys traditionally you do like to run the ball more than they throw the ball. And I look at this guy as a very talented. Not last year for they, Bevel. Not with Matthew Stafford. Not when he took over as head coach. That was not the case. Uh, eventually, that became not the case. That wasn't necessarily the first case the first few weeks. And then they opened it up and let him throw the ball all over the place. Um, uh, having said that, 
I think that's something you're hoping that happens versus what's going to happen in the beginning of the season. And Trevor Lawrence, I don't think mirrors Joe Burrow's his start to last year. While I don't disagree with weapons and he's more talented than Joe Burrow, I do think that Joe Burrow has thrown about 40 to 50 times a game last year. I don't think that you're going to get that out of the Jacksonville passing game. I'll be shocked if you see Trevor Lawrence throwing 50 passes a game. Well, I'm just going for 40 passes a game in a 17-game season. I have him going clear over 600 passing attempts. I think that's very much in the realm of possibility and expectations given their circumstances. But that's going to hit the break. You guys decide on what you believe. We're going to be right back after this. The MD's Fan Football Show will carry on with our, the rest of our Bus 5 and our Sleeper 5 and the Mailbag segment on the other side. So stay tuned on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network at Belly Up MDFF Show. And we'll be back right after this. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back in, MD Nation, to the MD's Fantasy Football Show. You are listening to Chris and myself, Dan Mater, your host for the day. For always, because this you should always be listening to this show, quite frankly, especially with the fantasy football around the corner. We are on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network at WWSRN and on Belly Up Sports. Of course, you can always catch us on the live stream of social media at Belly Up MDFF Show or on YouTube. And the episode will be available after this on your favorite pod streaming app. We're talking about our best five, bus five, sleeper five quarterbacks today. We had some breaking news for you guys earlier on in the show. And of course, cap things off. We will have a mailbag segment at the end of this segment. So, Chris, we're about halfway through our bust quarterbacks. And I'm going to throw that graphic back up there for the people watching on the stream. Right now, we just talked about our, our bottom three guys. So let's get into our top two guys. Chris, you have Kyler Murray as a bus quarterback. So here's my question to you, because his ADP is QB3. Where do you have Kyler Murray ranked? I have Kyle Murray just outside the top you know, six or seven players. Um, as I saw in kind of my top five list, he falls beneath those guys. So he'll be the next person up. Um, I, had, I don't think Kyler Murray is going to be somebody that, you know, clarify for this list. We were kind of talking about what the list entailed. And for me, right. it's guys where you have downside to where actually they're going. And I think that where Kyler Murray as a number three quarterback, to me, there's a lot of opportunity for that not to occur where that to be the case this year. While there's other guys I kind of like better, you know, I like I like just definitely Dak Prescott more. I like Josh Allen more. I like Russell Wilson more. I even like Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers more because I think that there's more safer prospects going into the season, more guys that I kind of bank on their offenses being highly effective and efficient versus a team that I think could be in a lot of turmoil this year. Because Arizona does have a lot of pressure on it to be good, and it's going to be really interesting to see what kind of you know role that everybody take, kind of takes in, in, in with that. Will Colin Murray be a pocket quarterback while he uses legs? He's talked all you know all summer about using his legs more, but we also not using his legs less, I should say. But I also think that we both agree that for Arizona to be successful, they need him to be using his legs. We also see them kind of talking about getting back to using more four receiver sets. I think Arizona is going to realize real quickly their offensive line stinks. So that wherefore, if you do that, you're going to get Colin Murray killed. So I think there's a lot more opportunities for Colin Murray to kind of rather be injured this year or not have the production as a number three guy versus I, I think for me, I'm looking at other guys I'd rather take it more safely there. 
Yeah, I think that's fair as far as what the pathways are for him to not be the QB3. And again, you're going off of his ADP, his ECR ranking is the quarterback three. You have him at seven. Not saying Kyler Murray is going to be bad for fantasy football purposes, but maybe he should be getting taken in as an elite guy. I have a QB3, so I disagree with you there, only because I do have him as a second rushing quarterback and what a cheat code that is, ultimately speaking. But I can understand what all your points are, and I don't go too much into it because we did talk about Kyler Murray earlier on in the show. On this, that we both have Lamar Jackson higher than Kyler Murray, which isn't the case most of most of these other rankings right now. Agreed as well. Justin Herbert uh, has some good points there about why we have Justin Herbert as our number one bus candidate. I don't disagree with anything you were saying. Again, I was pointing out that you know he was he finished he did find the finishing as a QB nine, but his ADP is QB six. And we look towards the end of last season, you started to see defenses adjust a little bit where they started taking away Keenan Allen. Nothing else became available. Now, part of that, I do believe, is because I think Mike Williams has a lot to prove as far as how good of a wide receiver he actually is. Austin Eckler was banged up. So I don't think he has a lot of secondary options, frankly, when it comes down to it. I think the coaching change does matter for a Justin Herbert in his second year. I think there will be an adjustment period to that. While I believe the volume ultimately will be there for him to sustain QB one area, because again, I'm doing this. He's, he's my number one bust because I have him ranked uh, out uh, just outside the top 10. I actually outside the top 12. I haven't ranked a QB 14 while his ADP is QB six. You're drafting him to try to repeat what he did a season ago. Defenses. I do believe will adjust. We see sophomore slumps all the time. Herbert has a lot of red flags to me, given some changing variables around him, giving outside of Keenan Allen, I question some of his weapons on how consistent they can be. And then I also question his ability to read defenses once defenses adjust to him as well. He has a lot of red flags to me at scream sophomore slump to me. So that's why he's my number one uh, bust too. I'll quickly go back to Baker Mayfield, why he's my number two bust. Uh, and that's because I was actually surprised where his ADP was as far as people who are drafting him, because I didn't, again, I try to take guys. I think their ADP doesn't matter, but his ADP is QB 16. I have him ranked at quarterback 27. So that's why I have a significant difference. I don't, he finished last year's QB 17. He played well, but again, it goes back to, he has to prove that he can play to that level with OBJ on the field. And again, during his stretch towards the end of the season where he started to play really well weeks 8 through 17 when he was a QB 19, it still wasn't anything overly impressive. The big key was that his touchdown interception ratio was very, very good. So and if you play in those leagues where the interceptions count as minus two points, that's kind of where he made up a lot of his ground at because he had, I believe it was 19 touchdowns to two interceptions or something like that towards the back half of the season. But his overall numbers are not very impressive. He's still in a run-first type of offense. I don't see Baker Mayfield as this mid-level streaming option at the QB2 position. And again, I got to see it before I believe it. When it comes to him and OBJ on the field, did he actually learn to play offense? Or is he still going to go back to, I got to force-feed OBJ the ball because he's OBJ? Yeah, and I also think that you got to add this guy doesn't have to bring a whole lot with his legs right now either, particularly with that effective running game that they have. I mean, I think this reminds me a lot of the Kirk Cousins, you know, situation that you're kind of you were pointing out for your number five bus quarterback. He basically is running the same system Kirk Cousins is. And this is going to be guys going to be wildly inconsistent. You're going to have games where he you know does well, goes for 300 yards, has made three or four touchdowns. Then you're going to have games where he throws for a buck 80 and gets you one touchdown. So that's what you're kind of concerned about because if they're winning, some of the Vikings when they're up and they're able to win and use a running game, that's what they're going to do. 
you're not going to get the easy passing yards. So there's a lot of games where you're going to have a giant gap in the production, even though the numbers overall for the season might not match that. All right, so Chris, let's get into our sleepers. Let's get into our guys that we think can be values for people down the road for one reason or another. Again, we had multiple ways we went about this. You, When we get to the running backs and wide receivers, I just want to clarify this for MD Nation. We're going to probably go more off of our rankings versus ADP and ECR. When it came to the quarterback, you're talking about 15 different quarterbacks between the two of us at minimum. Uh, you know, you have more guys you have to base off of. Our rankings might be not might be drastically different from the ADP or the ECR. We're going off of pathways, range of outcomes that we see kind of deal. So let's go back to our sleepers here. We'll start from the bottom. You have Tom Brady as a sleeper. We already talked about him a little bit because he's in your top five. So I'm assuming that you mean this from an ADP perspective and where you have him ranked at number four. Absolutely. Uh, right now, I basically have him going in between around nine and ten, and as one of the you know later quarterbacks, he's basically the ninth-rated quarterback, I believe, as well. And for me, Tom Brady, as you saw before, another graphic. I think he's going to definitely be one of the top five quarterbacks, if not the top four quarterback. I expect it because you know he gets kind of hated on a little bit because he's not a runner. But we've seen you know previous guys like Drew Brees when they're on their game be a very high effective, highly scoring guys, and you can still get points in you know in advanced football by throwing the ball. So Tom Brady, to me, we talked about all the weapons he has coming back and being healthy. The Bruce Arians factor that this team should be aggressive offensively and not, you know, basically be a team that's going to just be content when they're up. And I think that all those things make the opportunity for Tom Brady to really have a great year this year. I have Justin Fields as my number five sleeper. He's the one guy, and like I said, I preach this all the time. I'm about taking the quarterbacks late. If I wind up with one of my top 12 guys, I don't mind taking Justin Fields with my last pick in your typical 12-man redraft league because, one, I do believe Justin Fields at some point this season will definitely start. And he has that Jalen Hurts upside where when he comes in, you know he's going to scramble a ton. I like the fact that he has a go-to wide receiver in Allen Robinson. And I'm going to add this in here, too, and this is just my opinion on the matter. So this is a bit of projecting here. But I do believe that when Justin Fields takes over, it's also simultaneously going to be when Matt Nagy hands the playbook back over to Bill Lazor. And that's the other thing I kind of like, too, because I think it's what's going to kind of take when Justin Fields comes in for Andy Dalton. But again, that's just conjecture, projection on my part. I just feel like that's going to what's winding up happening, regardless of whether that happens or not. I like the fact that he has an Allen Robinson to go to. I like the fact that he has a David Montgomery behind him to be able to go to. And I like the fact that he's going to use his legs. So again, I just see a lot of Jalen Hurts factors, but it definitely a more efficient quarterback than a Jalen Hurts will be with a completion percentage too on top of it. Yeah, I mean, I think Justin Fields has a lot of upside once he gets on the field. And I think that where he's kind of going, we talked about our doubts about Trey Lance. To me, Fields is that guy you do take as the kind of that wild card, particularly if you're going to draft him really late. And if you have a, you know, a Patrick Mahomes who doesn't have a bye to week 12 or 13, I think it is, or Lamar Jackson. So those guys basically have late, you know, late, late buys. So when you have a Fields kind of hit his stride, you have another option there. And it's a great option. Even somebody maybe you can move off. And if he does start earlier than you think he is, they maybe move off of and add some extra pieces to your team. Yeah, agreed. I, that's the other reason. I think he has a much better, you know, when it comes to opportunities to start, I definitely think Fields has a, a greater opportunity to start than Trey Lance does this season. It's an inevitability. Now, I haven't projected for eight games. The reason I'm projecting eight games, I just... It's anybody's guess at this point when he's going to start. I took the safe approach of 
okay, I'll wait till the Bears bye week. Their bye week is, I believe, week 10 or, or week 9. So he'd be back in week 10, play week 10 and week 17. So that's what I've projected for. But if you're going to ask me, do I believe he starts before that? My answer to that is yes. I don't believe Andy Dalton makes it all the way to the bye week, ultimately speaking. But that, to me, is like the max cutoff point of what we would see Andy Dalton be, frankly. I think Justin Fields is definitely going to be on the field sooner rather than later. The next guy, we've already kind of talked about him on the show. I have Trevor Lawrence, my number four sleeper. We don't have to go in the whole argument again about him, but here's what I will say. The reason why he's my sleepers is ADP is QB 14. I have him squarely in my top 10. I think Chris is underestimating the amount of rushing floor that he's going to have on top of volume, weapons, situation. That's why he's my number four. We know Chris's argument for why he was in his bus. I don't want to get into that again here. I want to talk about Ryan Fitzpatrick being Chris's number four sleeper uh, with Washington because I, I do think there's some legitimacy there. Yeah, this is a guy that's basically going borderline undrafted a lot of in leagues right now, and he has a bad rap because, you know, he's Ryan Fitzpatrick, you know, the most skilled player in the world. But it doesn't matter about skill of fantasy. It matters about what your numbers are. And when he actually was this, played the majority of the snaps as a starting quarterback for the past three years, his finish when Tampa Bay was within the top six, and he'd been in top – I'm sorry, he'd been top three Tampa Bay. He'd been in top three the year before – the year after that, and then last year he actually would have been top six. So Ryan Fitzpatrick, when he's out there – lights it up. Um, he puts up great numbers. He's always aggressive down the field. We don't put that to change no matter what. And as a result, this is a guy that basically is being forgotten about, but does have good numbers and will scramble. He doesn't, he's not a guy that stands in the pocket. He's not a guy who's not going to get you any rushing yards. He does rush for a couple touchdowns here or there. He does get some you know, cheap yards for you. So he's got a nice little floor on top of it. Turnovers, you know, but a player scary, but this is a guy that you can basically have for here or there. For a couple, you know, even for half the season, if not the full season, and maybe if you want to move on from somebody else, you can. But this guy can win you some weeks. He has in the past. Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree with any of that. We know that when Fitz Magic is strong, it's strong because he, he plays the QB one during that time. He, he has the weapons before with, ter- with Terry McLaurin, Antonio Gibson, a Curtis Samuel, D- uh, Diami Brown, or Cam Sims, whichever one winds up being the wide receiver three. Like, there's some weapons to like there. Uh, his ADP right now is QB 25. He's going to be a streaming option at some point. Do you catch lightning while that streak is going on? The only caveat I have to a Ryan Fitzpatrick is that he also has the, you know, the rock bottom Ryan Fitzpatrick aspect to him where he might have a couple games in a row where he throws four picks. And then the question is going to be the Scott Turner, Ron Rivera. Do they stick with him anyway? Or do they go with the fan favorite, which seems to be Taylor Hanicki? That's going to be really the question in that scenario. I don't think it's a given, though, that Ryan Patrick is in a situation where he definitely gets benched, though. It would be interesting to see. It's the only caveat I had to him. But I do like him as a sleeper there. He's going to be a streamer at some point. He always is every single year. Let's pop this up back up again. We both, both of us, have Zach Wilson as our number three sleeper. So, Chris, go ahead first with Zach Wilson. Why is he number three? Yeah, and we kind of brought this up earlier about Zach Wilson where we kind of see him as, you know, what his abilities are versus some of the other quarterbacks going before him or even around him. And Zach Wilson is on a team that has a pretty good, you know, set up for him. He's got the line. He's got some nice weapons in place. And this guy is, you know, to me, a stud. He And the bottom line also is that he uses his legs. He historically has in college. He will continue to do so. He's in a system that they usually, usually utilize their quarterbacks' mobility if they can. And you have all those things add up, plus the defense is absolutely putrid. I think you have a guy who potentially can really surprise people this year, maybe be in the rookie of the year conversation and be a guy that's going to you know, have some big weeks here or there for you. 
Yeah, look, I have him. His ADP is QB twenty nine. I have him ranked at QB twenty. So I'm not, I don't have him ranked in the top 15, although here's what I will say. I have a very small margin between QB 20 and QB 14. So I kind of have them all pretty much jumbled up together where an extra passing or rushing touchdown can make all the difference in the world, frankly. Again, I go back to this is not Adam Gase running the show. This is Mike LaFleur coming from the Shanahan system coming from a family of success thus far, as far as offensive players go, they have weapons around him. Now, Corey Davis, James Crowder, Elijah Moore. I like the running back situation with a Michael Carter. I like the offensive line. I think people really, I don't, they don't talk about it or they don't realize it or whatever the case may be his rushing floor. Like you mentioned, is he the flashy speedy runner of a Justin Fields or maybe a Trey Lance? Maybe not necessarily, but this is a guy who did run a lot in BYU, especially in the red zone territory. That's my big thing. I don't know if he's going to get you. He's the type of guy who's going to get you 500 yards rushing, but he is the type of guy. I think he can get you four to five rushing touchdowns, if not more. And he has that floor to go with it. I do like his arm. I like a lot of things about him. I like his fit in this system. The other thing about him is if you're talking about the rookie quarterbacks, there's a poll that we're going to get to a little bit later. He's the one guy who's actually going to start outside of Trevor Lawrence that we know for for sure. So there's a lot of reasons why I like Zach Wilson as a sneaky little sleeper, as a streamer there. I think people are really going to be surprised that this is not just your same old Jets. And I hate that narrative of like, this organization has been bad for a long time, so no matter what they do, they're always going to be bad. No, when, when regimes actually change over, you judge it by what the new regime is. And there's nothing about this new regime that I don't like between the coaching staff and the GM. This is not your typical Jets from years to come. If that was actually true, the Cleveland Browns would not be a Super Bowl contending team this year, and they are. So people, the past, the history from 30 years ago until even five years ago doesn't matter today. So let's kind of get that out of our heads too because I hear that argument a lot when people are anti-Zach Wilson is that he's a quarterback on the Jets and they're always going to ruin the quarterback on the Jets. And I'm like, this is... To totally different coaching staff. So that doesn't make any That argument makes absolutely no sense and holds absolutely no water. Uh, our number twos, you have Ben Roethlisberger. I have Jimmy Garoppolo. Talk about Ben Roethlisberger real quick. Yeah, people have this narrative that Ben Roethlisberger is basically done. He's, he's in last year's career. Last year, he, you know, his arm fell off, basically. I think people kind of forget that the, this guy started off pretty decent to begin the season. Pittsburgh was 12-0. And he came off major elbow surgery. He has a whole offseason for his elbow to recover. He had injured as the season progressed. That's why he was basically, you know, throwing the ball immediately before as soon as he snapped it because he couldn't move. He couldn't use his legs. He couldn't do anything. I think a lot of that's going to be a lot different. Plus, he has an axe to grind. And historically, Beth Rothsberger is doubted usually when he has his best years. So I look at a guy who has been very productive in Dorian's fantasy, you know, over the his career. And a guy that basically has an un, ungodly amount of weapons comparable to a lot of these guys out there. I mean, he does, he's got three or four receivers deep. He's got a running back stud coming in. He has a question about the offensive line, but that team still should be able to score points, should still be, you know, be able to be effective. And Ben Roethlisberger doesn't have to necessarily have the same arm he used to have. He just needs to have a better arm than he had last year. We've seen Drew Brees continue to be kind of effective being fantasy-wise and stats-wise. We just need Ben Roethlisberger to be able to get out there and be on the field. And as long as his arm doesn't fall off like it did last year, I expect him to be very productive again. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head when he said all he needs is a better arm than he had last year. It was, I mean, it was a career low 6.3 yards per attempt from his career average at 7.7. You're talking about a huge, huge drop-off there. The weapons are there. He has his quarterback coach, the offensive coordinator. The offense, I still believe, at the end of the day, we talked about this when we did the Steelers profile, 
is going to revolve around Ben Roethlisberger. I, I said before, I don't know if I necessarily buy them running more as more as them running more effectively and more efficiently and having having a running game that way, well, where I don't necessarily think they'll take away the volume of the passing attack, or at least not on the level that some people want to say it's going to be, which is why they have Ben Roethlisberger flailing about, essentially. Okay, what were you going to well, say? I was going to say, I think Matt Canada's new system that he's bringing into Pittsburgh is going to be really much help Ben Roethlisberger because you're going to see a lot more motion. You're going to see a lot more jet sweeps. You're going to see a lot more easy reads for bet. And I think that we kind of talked about, you know, Lamar Jackson has, he got better as the season progressed. A big part of that was the Ravens remembering to use motion. The Ravens remembering how to kind of attack teams and not just have guys to stand there and then run patterns. If you move guys around and you have teams that are, have a lot of motion, you can get one-on-one matchups for our veteran quarterback. They're going to be effective and successful. Yeah, like I said, to me, ultimately, the key is, because the system's in place, the weapons are in place, ultimately, the key is, is his elbow stronger than it was last season? If it's not, then he'll be what he was a year ago. If it is better, then we're going to see Ben Roethlisberger being back to his, you know, high-end QB two days, I believe. So I'm, I'm kind of with you there. It's all going to depend on where is he actually physically at with that elbow. Something we, frankly, might not know until week one. But then again, with his ADP being QB20, you don't need to draft Ben Roethlisberger, something to kind of keep in mind for your waiver wires and see how he progresses. Uh, again, my number two was Jimmy Garoppolo. So like I had Trey Lance on my bust, my top five bust, Jimmy Garoppolo is my number two sleeper because it goes back to why Trey Lance is my bust in the first place, which is I believe this is Garoppolo's job until and if he gets injured. Uh, I have a couple of things on. First of all, his ADP is QB35. That's ridiculous. He's a starting quarterback on a good offense. It, to be QB35 is insane. All it tells me that people just like, again, kind of back to the Trey Lance thing, they're just have this idea that Trey Lance is somehow going to start week one. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen unless something completely unforeseen happens, an injury or some kind of crazy trade at the last second. It's not going to happen. Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be the starting quarterback for the, for the 49ers. Now, I have him ranked at QB 22, but that's because I have baked in his injury rate, which unfortunately forces me to have to project him missing seven games this year. Let's say he stays healthy like he did in 2019. 2019, he was QB 14. He was a high-end QB 2 in 2019. This offense is better than that Super Bowl offense. It's a better offensive line. He has more weapons because remember last that year, you had a rookie Debo Samuel who was banged up. They had a trade for Emmanuel Sanders halfway through the season. Now you have a Brandon Ayuk. You have a Debo Samuel entering his third year. You have George Kittle. You have a better offensive line, and you have, I think, a better running game because even Raheem Mostert goes down, I think Trey Sermon is a better number two than they've had in a long time, too. So there's a better offense. So let's say Jimmy Garoppolo plays 17 games. I would actually have him hovering around my top 12 status if that wound up being the case. So that's the only reason I have my QB 22. There's that range of outcomes where if he just stays healthy, I think he has a chance to be a low-end QB 1 within this offense. I know people aren't buying it. I know I'm a Jimmy Garoppolo apologist. I don't care. This is what the numbers are telling you. Yeah, and I also think that if you look other than the Rams, they play a division where the defenses are definitely suspect, particularly the past defenses. Seattle's past defense has been atrocious the last couple of years, and Arizona's hasn't been much better. So I think we look at an opportunity for Jimmy G to bounce back and kind of quiet the haters. I think this is the year for him to do it. Now, again, somebody you're not going to have to draft because his ADP is QB 35, but I think he's going to be a top streaming option once you see, like, hey, is Jimmy Garoppolo out there on the field? The caveat to him having a big sleeper year, again, would just be the fact that this guy has not really been able to stay healthy outside of one season. So, But 
Your cost is nothing. And I do believe you're going to be shocked by Jimmy G quite a bit. So let's get to our number one sleepers on the board. Chris, you go with Tua Tagalavoa. I went with Cam Newton. Let's start with Tua Tagalavoa. Why do you have him as your number one sleeper? Do you have him ranked significantly different than ADP or ECR? I do. Um, I think that overall, too, I think it's believed going around the 20s. And I think 22. 22, right? Yeah. So to me, I definitely think he's going to be in the top 15 quarterbacks. I'm excited about Tua Tagaloa. I think this guy's an absolute stud. I think he reminds me a lot of uh, Steve Young. I think he can bring the ability to run. He has the ability to be accurate with the ball. He's got weapons in place. Um, I think the Dolphins in general are just to be one of the better teams. And I think he gets a bad narrative from last year and kind of the unaggressiveness that he showed and some of the you know rust he showed in some senses. I think most of that's because Ryan Fitzpatrick you know, was benched for him. Ryan Fitzpatrick was number six quarterback, as I pointed out, when he was played most of the snaps with his offense in that system. So why can't Tua Tagaloa be a stud? Because he doesn't have the ability to do so. I'm not one of those people who believes that. We talked about Lamar Jackson before and kind of our narratives where we kind of had to overcome the hate for Lamar. I think Tua has got a lot of hate that he doesn't deserve. And I think this is the year he kind of shows people there was a reason people were trying to tank to get him. Again, QB 14 from weeks 14 through 17 at the end of last year when he didn't have much weapons to begin with. And if you look at this year, let's say all the weapons are healthy at the same time. Will Fuller, Jalen Wild, Devontae Parker, Mike Gusecki. That's a lot more than most quarterbacks have. I'm with you. I believe in the talent of a two attack Lavoa. Do I have some questions about their offensive play callers? Yeah, because they have to prove it to us. Do I have some questions about their weapons ability to stay healthy? Yeah, because we Will Fuller, Devontae Parker, very injury prone. Jalen Wiles come off a of major ankle surgery. But ultimately, he's in a great position. I think the fact that he's coming off, he's a year removed from that hip injury is big too. I don't know why no one... Other quarterbacks seem to get a pass when they're coming back from, you know, all near career ending stuff like that. I don't know why Tua doesn't, uh, but I think he's going to prove a lot of people wrong here. I'm with you. I like Tua quite a bit myself. The reason I didn't put him in my top five of sleepers is because I don't have him ranked significantly different from ADP. ADP 22, I have him ranked at QB 17. That might be moving up soon because I have guys like Carson Wentz one spot ahead of him and stuff like that. But again, I have a very cluster there where I wouldn't be surprised. He could QB 17 or QB 13. All it takes is one passing touchdown or one rushing touchdown would be the difference for me there. So two attack of very much has the upside, especially if those weapons stay healthy and hit good. I was going to say, particularly for a team that should be passed first in general too. You know, right. Gaskin isn't somebody you're necessarily going to be trying to feature every week. So they're going to be a pass first team more than likely as well. Yeah, totally agree. My number one was Cam Newton. And this is just a, pretty much a product of having a huge difference between ADP and uh, my ranking for him. I have Cam Newton ranked at QB 15, especially since Bill Belichick comes out and says, you know what? Cam is going to be our week one starter. I believe him. His ADP is QB 27. I have, so I have a huge difference. So he's my biggest difference as far as that goes. That's why he's my number one sleeper. Cam is a starting quarterback. We know what offense they're going to run. It's going to be a physical Cam Newton running based offense. The difference is he's now going to have guys to be able to go to in the red zone where I don't think the passing numbers will be nearly as inefficient. I'm not crazy about Nelson Aguilar, but compared to what they had last year, Nelson Aguilar is a better wide receiver with him and Jacoby Myers and what they have for most of the season. But the big thing is Janu Smith and Hunter Henry. This team could be one of the most efficient teams in the red zone this season as a physical running team. And Cam is still going to get, I don't know if he gets 12 
you know, rushing touchdowns again, but he's still going to get his rushing touchdowns. He's still going to get his rushing opportunities with an increase in the passing production. Does he last all year as a starting quarterback? I don't know. I, I, I don't know if that true winds up being the case, but I do think there's a chance because if they're competitive all throughout the year, I don't think they're suddenly going to change the ship over to Mac Jones. So I do think there's a chance Cam Newton's the guy, and at least on a point-per-game basis, and being that he's going to start at the beginning of the year, given his rushing floor, I don't see why Cam is anything less than a QB 15, a high-end QB 2, a guy you can plug and play in your lineup in, in, in a you know a matchup-based type of offense where you're drafting quarterback late. He should be one of those guys on your board. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more. You look at Cam Newton, and basically he played as awful as he possibly could at the quarterback position last right. year by throwing a ball. And I think that you have, as you pointed out, more better weapons. Also, another guy who's got another year to get more healthy. And if he is the starting quarterback and remains starting quarterback throughout this you know, situation over off season and becomes answers week one as a starter, I'm with you. I think there's not going to be any rush or any reason that they're going to try to get this guy out of the lineup. They like Matt Jones absolutely. But I think there's no rush, and we've seen this with the Patriots in, in the past. They don't like to play rookies. They like to kind of redshirt guys when they're younger. Um, and I think their preference would be that Matt Jones doesn't play this year. I think Belichick absolutely loves Cam Newton. He's talked about him all. He raves about him constantly. And because of how they're constituted, I think it plays up to a lot of his strengths. As you said, they had added the tight ends. They added a brown and tackle. They can be a grind team. They can be a physical team. They added a little bit of weapons extra with Aguilar on the outside. Jacoby Myers has another year out there. Um, and then on top of it, you have a defense that should be significantly improved in the Patriots when they had a lot of guys turning from last year and that made some good additions. So this team in general should be more competitive. And as long as they're competitive, I think there's Cam Newton's their quarterback. Yeah, uh, he was he was a value last year. And things have only improved around him other than maybe he doesn't play all year, but you're not drafting him to do so anyway. So I don't get why Cam Newton is ranked at, at, at his ADP is 27. Maybe people still think Mac Jones has a chance. I don't know. Maybe that'll change by the end of August, probably. But right now, he's a hell of a value to me. And let's all not right. forget Cam Newton kind of declined after the COVID situation as well. Before the COVID, he was actually producing pretty well you know, as the quarterback for the Patriots as well. Yeah, he was, was a top-end QB2. He was a top-end yeah. QB2 until that happened. All right, guys, guess what time it is. Here. The mail is here. First question of the day. Or actually, I should say, you know, if you want to get on the mailbag segment, all you got to do is hit us up at BellyUpMDFM Show on social media. We'll answer all of your questions, take a few of our favorite ones, put them on the show, talk about them. Tom was one of our favorite ones. He asked, redraft, who would you prefer? This kind of goes back to yesterday, too. A lot of people trying to figure out these running backs. Austin Eckler, Nick Chubb. Aaron Jones or Jonathan Taylor. And what kind of league are we talking about? PPR redraft. PPR. I mean, for me, it's Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones is that guy that can get you the rushing ability, you know, statistics, gets the rushing touchdowns, and also produce in the passing game. We talked about, and, you know, Jamal Williams moving on from their backfield. We expect we expect Aaron Jones to be that beneficiary, especially in the passing game. AJ Dillon might steal some, you know, some of his rushing opportunities. But overall, Aaron Jones is a, a great quarterback, a high prolific offense, and the system that's been, you know, features the running back in a lot of ways. So there's no reason I wouldn't go Aaron Jones there. Yeah, I'm with you, especially being a full point PPR. I have Aaron Jones ahead of Nick Chubb. That would be the, the closest debate for me. Again, with no Jamal Williams, I think sky's the limit for Aaron Jones when it comes to the passing attack. Finally, one of the things I think that gets overlooked because I think it's one of the best aspects of his game, but because he had to share time with Jamal Williams, and that aspect kind of held him back. 
he's had two years in a row where he finished in the top five. I know there's some concern about does AJ Dillon take away a significant amount of goal line touchdowns, but here's what I'll say to that. While AJ Dillon's a load, I do think he'll be involved to some degree. I have him for a 35% share of the carries. It's going to be hard pressed for me to believe that the Green Bay Packers are going to just completely take Aaron Jones out of the goal line situation, given how great he's been throughout his career in that situation. So I just don't buy into AJ Dillon is the goal line back. And plus, when you add that to the now new ceiling that Aaron Jones has in front for passing attack, I love Aaron Jones quite a bit this year. So yeah, for me, out of these four, it's definitely Aaron Jones who I've ranked ahead. Nick, he asks, what do you think of Daryl Henderson? We talked about this a little bit, but we'll keep reiterating because I think people are going to be asking this question quite a bit throughout August. Yeah, I love Daryl Henderson. Now, there's a lot of talk about him not being you know, a feature back in a sense he can handle 25, 30 touches. And I don't expect him to necessarily do that for the Rams. I think they will try to sprinkle some other guys in there and keep him fresh throughout the season. But when Henderson's out there, we talked about on other shows about how effective he was. He was you know, way more effective than Akers was last year. He was one of PFF's top reader, you know, running backs last year in general. And then add to the fact that this guy has, has Matthew Stafford, a quarterback, the weapons they have in place, and explosiveness around that team. Henderson should be one of those guys that should be, you know, definitely an RB2, at the worst an RB3, um, but it has uh, some RB1 potential. So you're looking at a guy that even if he only gets 15 to 17 touches, can still be highly productive with those amount of touches. He's an efficient guy. He's an efficient player. So he, d- he doesn't need the 20 to 30 touches to be what he needs to be. I have him, I believe halfway PPR, I have him ranked at RB19. He's an RB2. He's an RB2. And with this offense, there is some upside because it could be a high-scoring offense on top of it. But as long as they continue, and as days go by without them signing anybody, I become a little bit more confident. Maybe they maybe they won't. I, I don't know. We'll see exactly what happens. I still have a hard time believing that, but we'll see. But as long as this continues to be the depth chart, Daryl Henderson is going to get at least 60% of the work across the board. Give me 60% of the work across the board in this offense. I give you a RB2 with a floor. I give you a guy who has potential to be a low-end RB1, essentially. So, again, I care more about the efficiency. I do like Daryl Henderson, the talent. Do I question, can he stay healthy for 17 games? Yeah, 100%. But that's also why I think you're drafting him as a low-end QB or a low-end RB2 anyway. So I don't think the co- I think the cost is kind of baked in with the risk that comes with a Daryl Henderson. So I like Daryl Henderson quite a bit for where he is. I don't think people should shy away from him for any reason. Hearst. He asked AJ Brown, Allen Robinson, or Terry McLaurin in a PPR league. Ooh, Hurst, that's a tough one. Um, I think that for me, it's going to be, I'd probably go Terry McLaurin just because I trust that Ryan Fitzpatrick will target his number one target over and over and over and over again. Um, I think that McLaurin's clearly the best receiver on that team. I do think that, you know, they play in a division where you have some questions about some of the secondaries that they're going to be facing. So, I'd probably go with Lauren. Allen Robinson, I love. Um, my only concern for him really is that with Matt Nagy taking back over the play calling, that it takes a little while for Robinson to utilize like he's supposed to because Matt Nagy's cute. He, you know, he, he used to use the Moonies of the world and different guys. And I think that's the only concern for me where Allen Robinson, I think maybe his, his stats will be just there with Trey McLaurin's stats as the season progress, you know, season goes on. But I think in the beginning, I'll have a little concern about how that kind of unfolds. And what about A.J. Brown? A.J. Brown, I love A.J. Brown, but we all know that A.J. Brown doesn't get a hell of a lot of targets. Um, and I think that that's not going to increase because you have Julio Jones. Now, if Julio Jones is injured, he's not able to play, and it changes the equation. But for the most part, A.J. Brown's a guy who talk about efficiency. This guy can well, may get six or seven targets a game, but he makes the best of them. 
So that's been my biggest concern PPR-wise is that A.J. Brown just doesn't have enough volume. I, I have it probably the opposite way that you do. I have A.J. Brown, Allen Robinson, Terry McLaurin in my rankings for PPR. Again, A.J. Brown, I don't, I don't have him necessarily in the top five of targets, but I do have him getting about 125 to 130 targets somewhere in that range. It's the superstar that comes with that. It's the explosiveness that comes with that. It's the double-digit touchdown almost floor, you could say, if he's actually healthy for all 17 games that comes with that, where Terry McLaurin, Allen Robinson – don't really have that same kind of upside when it comes to the touchdowns, especially. And I think they're all looking at about a similar amount of yards. So AJ Brown's my guy here. Allen Robinson, even if Matt Nagy's calling the plays, and I understand what you're saying there, he actually gets more of a target share when Matt Nagy calls the plays than when he doesn't. So for PPR purposes, I think that puts him a little bit ahead of Terry McLaurin. McLaurin, I think, is somebody who's getting drafted a little too close to his ceiling, quite frankly, while I like the opportunity there at Ryan Fitzpatrick and what Terry McLaurin is in that offense. I do think you're there's too many people drafting him to expect him to definitely be a wide receiver one, which he has not yet been to this point. Uh, I love him. I think he definitely has potential to do so. But give me an, a healthy A.J. Brown. Give me an Al Robinson, who I know is going to get probably 150 targets this year before I take a Terry McLaurin. Last question, Dave. Dobbins or David Montgomery? He doesn't specify the scoring format, so let's say half-point PPR. I'm sorry, I didn't hear it. it was the PPR like you said. I said let's let's say half point PPR. Dave asked us Dobbins or David Montgomery. That's really tough. Um, I would probably lean towards J.K. Dobbins in that situation. While the half point PPR makes me questionable because I don't still know how involved Dobbins will be in the passing game. I do think offensively, it's clear that the Ravens' offense is going to be one of the better offenses. While I think Chicago can still struggle to score points. Uh, I think Dobbins' touchdowns are, are almost guaranteed to be in double digits. Uh, he had nine last year. I don't see no, no reason that won't increase this year. He's very productive, very explosive. He had the big plays. So I'm going to go with J.K. Dobbins because I expect that the consistency will be there. There's more of a ceiling. I mean, it's more of a floor, I should say, and more of an upside. Whereas Montgomery, who I love his talent, and I think he can be involved in all three phases. Because it's only half-point PPR, I don't think the catches are going to kill him that much or make him that much better, I should say. Yeah, I think he hit the nail on the head when he said the Ravens are going to be a high-scoring offense. I have Dobbins ranked ahead of David Montgomery, uh, even in half-point PPR leagues. Again, I question how much Montgomery definitely will be involved in the passing game. Now they added Damian Williams to Tariq Cohen, and Tariq Cohen is back with Matt Nagy calling the plays. We have to see exactly how that all breaks down. But as far as runners go, especially... Dobbins, even with splitting some time with Gus Edwards, we saw towards the end of, that, end of last year what that meant. That meant it still meant a low end RB one with Lamar Jackson. And Dobbins is a special talent who I think we might see even be better this year as far as on the field than what we saw towards the end of last year where he went on a touchdown run like it was nobody's business at the end of last season too. I just like the floor to ceiling ratio more of a J.K. Dobbins where I worry about the offensive line to some degree for Chicago. Uh, on top of it, and what they'll be with Andy Dalton. Because, I mean, frankly, the Cowboys' offense didn't look all that great with Andy Dalton last year. So we have to see exactly when Justin Fields takes over on top of it, too. And they'll be in some flux in that. So I'd rather have a J.K. Dobbins, but they are pretty close to me for sure. Um, we had that poll question that I want to talk about very briefly. Which rookie quarterback, I asked MD Nation this, will have the best 2021 fantasy football season? That, again, goes in line with our show today with the best five, bus five, super five quarterbacks. And just kind of continue to illustrate the point. MD Nation, you're wrong. 32% said Zach Wilson. 39% said Justin Fields. 29% said Trey Lance. I'm glad Trey Lance came in third. It wasn't by much. And while Justin Fields, we did say that once he gets on the field, has a high ceiling for sure. 
Zach Wilson is the only one who's definitely playing week one. And the rest of them, everybody else is a hypothetical guess as to when they may or may not start at some point this season. So 39% of you are wrong. It's Zach Wilson to me is the choice here. Yeah, and I think that you know it shouldn't be much of a debate. To your point, Zach Wilson will be clearly the starter. And even if you want to look at you know weapons or systems, systems are very similar. Just have just as good weapons, and maybe more variety of weapons available to them than Trey Lance and you know, Justin Fields do. So I do think Zach Wilson is the guy that you definitely. If you're looking for the rookie quarterback that you want to get outside Trevor Lawrence, that's the guy. I will say this: if all three were to start, I think the the guy who has the best offense around him is Trey Lance, but. Again, I think he's the guy out of these three has the least chance to start this year. It should be Zach Wilson. He's the only one who's actually definitely going to start week one. That's going to do it for today's show. Hope you guys all enjoyed it. We will be back next week, next Thursday, with the Half Point PPR mock draft. Then we're going to do our best five, bus five, sleeper five running backs. That's always one of our more popular episodes of the year. That'll be next Friday, both at 11 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network or on social media at Show and on YouTube. Make sure you check us out and download us on your favorite pod streaming app, the Belly Up Sports' MD's Fantasy Football Show. And keep those questions coming. We know it's drafts season we know you guys need a lot of help just hit us up on social media at belly up mdff show where we also have the player news notifications for you up and live and going out consistently uh, with all the news coming out as well so make sure you guys check that out everybody have a wonderful weekend we're going to see you guys again next week you're, you're, you're listening to the worldwide sports radio network